from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. We've arrived at episode eight in our 12-part special series, The Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley, uh, Ian Hest, along as my producer, and Keegan Renault, Oklahoma Insider, is walking us through this special summer podcast series, getting you ready, USC fans, for the man who's going to coach your Trojans this fall and who knows how much longer, hopefully for uh, at least a decade, if not more. Uh, and of course, in the Big Ten, something that when we planned this series, <laughs> that had not yet happened. But anyway, um, it, it, the, the move to the Big Ten is an interesting piece of this, Keegan Renault, because it puts even more of an emphasis on USC needing to recruit nationally outside uh, Southern California. And so in this episode, we want to focus on really two things that are kind of interconnected. One is recruiting in the state of Texas and two, recruiting offensive linemen. And of course, you know, one backgrounder to this, Keegan, as you're aware of, that USC has continued to whiff on major offensive line recruits. Josh Connerly was one. And then more recently, Francis Mauagoa uh, went to Miami. Mario Cristobal beat out Riley uh, for that prospect. Um, but Let's let's start with the general topic that we laid out, recruiting the state of Texas. Um, Lincoln Riley has a lot of staffers at USC with Texas ties, and one of those is his offensive line coach, Josh Henson, uh, you know, coming from Texas A&M. Um, just give us first an overview of just how important it is for USC to recruit in the state of Texas and how moving to the Big Ten uh, might change that equation in any way, shape, or form. The state of Texas is so watered down on the recruiting front. I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to be vital to what USC success is. In my view, Lincoln Riley made the move from Oklahoma to USC so for factors we have talked about on previous episodes, right? Uh, but it's also at the same time, too, his entire future was tied to Southern California. Uh, Malachi Nelson was his future quarterback, multiple commits from Los Alamitos, uh, he had built, got into recruiting ties at modern day, which in the last episode was talking about some of the major programs Oklahoma was able to get into under Riley's tutelage. Uh, I'm not necessarily too concerned with the, you know, I don't follow it as probably as closely as you do or as what USC fans do. Uh, but his entire future is tied to Southern California. Uh, it takes some time. Like Josh Henson's in a new area that he hasn't recruited quite yet. Uh, it's going to take time to build some relationships. Typically, that first year is always pretty tough when you're competing against, you know, schools that do does have some continuity um, and stability. So it's certainly interesting. I, I don't think it's something to, to ignore, but as it pertains to the state of Texas or offensive line recruiting, um, it's July. Uh, you know, these are conversations that I would have, you know, if there's warning signs or if there's red flags. Um, there might be some out there already, 
but I, I don't know if it's for anybody, Matt, this is for, uh, for Oklahoma fans. This is for, uh, right now that are seeing Ted that are getting annoyed with Texas fans. If this is for USC fans getting annoyed with either Oregon, Michigan, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I just don't think it's at that time, too much time to panic quite yet. Uh, and I would say this, Matt, uh, if there's anything that we do know about Lincoln Riley, he is going to use the portal to his benefit legally or illegally. <laughs> well, that raises a particular question about about his philosophy of roster construction. Let's might as well deal with that one right now. Sure. You know, now that he's getting a full recruiting cycle, you know, he had a huge recruiting weekend in the middle of June, the salute to Troy, big bash, lots of alumni, famous USC football stars from the past were there. So we had now has this full recruiting cycle. It's underway. And as you rightly said, you know, it's way too early to make judgments or verdicts on Josh Henson now. You know, let's see where we are in February. But the larger point is that he has the benefit of a full recruiting cycle, you know, get his feet under him, establish a lot of more recruiting relationships, both uh, he and his staff. So, you know, in, in light of all that, um, you know, what do you think that Riley is going to lean on recruiting significantly more now that he's getting these recruiting cycles and is able to make really a, an all out sales pitch, or do you think he's going to still lean on the portal the way he did this past off season? What do you think the evolving mixture of those two items is going to be? I thought his roster construction early on at Oklahoma made a lot of sense. Um, in the era of recruiting elite top recruits in the country, having a plan for them, like when you could possibly play and what does the roster look like in front of you. If you saw the way Oklahoma recruited, uh, it was <laughs> very calculated. And I've said that word about 10 times on the, on this series so far, but it was like, you know, they recruited a quarterback every other year. They didn't go all in on a quarterback in a, during an even number year um, while Lincoln Riley was the head coach. Like they, you know, they were always trying to go all in on an offensive lineman every other year. But, but Matt, whenever you have a quarterback that doesn't develop and you have uh, your best receiver is kicked off the team um, because of an arrest, uh, you know, the, whenever you, that margin for error is as thin as it was for Oklahoma to have success for their recruiting philosophy to turn into success on the football field, um, when you, those things that you're counting on developing and happening – when they don't happen, you don't have depth. Uh, you have to play a freshman quarterback against some of the best, the most difficult defenses to process in the country. Uh, and you have what happens, you know, really in 2020 and 2021, right? And so um, the roster construction at the time, you know, if Lincoln Riley follows the same path he had at Oklahoma, he'll be recruiting a quarterback every other year. He's not going to go after the same, you know, top elite offensive lineman every single year. Um, you know, because he's wanting to be able to put his roster and kind of schedule out the way that his teams are going to look like each and every year, you know, extended out for three or four years. So he was very meticulous, very calculated, very strategic in that way. Now, looking at the year 2022 and 23 and beyond, no, kind of along the lines of what you've been talking about in this episode, like they're maybe having some problems with offensive linemen right now. I promise you. Um, they will find if there is a good offensive lineman that may hit the portal after this season, he will be found. 
um, by Lincoln Riley that could potentially help his roster out. And so I do think he'll lean on it quite a bit, specifically to be able to, you know, kind of infuse that roster that really, really needs it. And I'm glad we're doing this episode when I do it now. I just got done with my USC study. Yeah, he's going to need to lean on the transfer portal for a couple years, um, specifically if you just want to isolate this year coming up. Like he he is going to need to put some experienced, talented guys on this roster, specifically in the fronts. Um, and sometimes those guys are in the portal, Matt, as you know, and sometimes they're not. And sometimes you've got to bank on a guy that's got a bunch of experience. He may not be the most talented guy, and sometimes you don't. And so – no, it's a hit and miss. Like we don't have a perfect science of what the portal looks like and what its impact is, but you got to kind of blend that roster construction recruiting philosophy in with that. And I don't know what that's going to look like at USC for him, but just kind of understanding him and how he operates. I think he sees the same things that I see. And I would imagine whether they had landed four elite players this year or not on the, on the recruiting show, they were going to use the portal um, because that's what Lincoln Riley just does and to fill the holes of his roster. All right, so the natural follow-up question there, Keegan, is you know if he's calculated and kind of, as you said, scheduling out his roster and what it's going to look like, you know, recruiting a quarterback every other year and be, like mapping the fits between and among the specific players that he's recruiting for a given class, if he's scheduling that out, like he doesn't have the depth at USC – that he, that he likely had at Oklahoma. So, you know, it's a lot easier to schedule out when you have more depth, when you have more resources, because when you have more depth, you can be a little more choosy. Uh, But if you have less depth, such as is the case now at USC, you have to scramble. And that's really what the the transfer portal uh, does. It's what uh, he certainly uh, banked on for building this 2022 roster so, so the question is, you know, how how calculated can Lincoln Riley afford to be at USC relative to Oklahoma? And maybe uh, as an appendage to that, Keegan, what was uh, the year when Lincoln Riley had the least amount of depth at Oklahoma, which might be comparable in any <laughs> way to 2022 at USC? <laughs> well, that year he had no depth was in 2021, Pat. Um, that's where it ended up coming back to bite him in the rear. It's it's so interesting, right? Cause I think I can go so many different ways with this. Um, you know, one, let me ask you this back. How much job security does Lincoln Riley have at USC? Thousand plenty. percent. Plenty, plenty. five yeah. years, six years. Uh, well, I would say at least, well, I mean, you know, if he falls flat on his face two years in a row, he's looking at four years. But so, I mean, we obviously we obviously right. don't expect him to fall flat on his face. But like, right. so asking right. asking about job security, it does you have to factor results into the equation. So like, no, right. no one's expecting him to to fail badly. But if he does, I don't think he, I don't think five years is an automatic assumption. I think I think it would be four. Right. And so when I ask that, I I mean that in the essence of that's going to dictate how Lincoln approaches this thing. And I think that he sees the big 10 ahead of him in 2024. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be, let's just use an example up in our neck of the woods, right? There's going to be a, there's going to be a disgruntled offensive tackle at Tennessee that is going to hit the portal two months. Uh, it's going to hit the portal a month from now 
that Oklahoma was somehow linked to and a guy named Wande Morris that may start a right tackle for him this year. You're going to hear a lot of grumblings like that uh, come November, December, right? You're going to hear a lot of grumblings about a certain receiver or offensive lineman or defensive player, maybe a guy named Key Lawrence that's going to start at safety for Oklahoma <laughs> this year, uh, that uh, that's disgruntled, that's going to leave Tennessee and enter the portal. And, oh, if, if he does, Oklahoma would be a pretty good spot for him, right? And so, I mean, God, I mean – this guy is playing 40 chess, right? And I think you've got to understand that if you if you really want to take in his full USC experience and and enjoy the ins and outs of it, right? The highs and the lows. Um, and I think too, like I mean, let's the whole there's it, there's been a lot of things that have happened over the last month or last two weeks since you and I last talked, Matt. I mean, the the Jordan Addison saga is I think the prime candidate of all of this. I mean, this guy is really smart, right? And I, I don't don't put anything past him um, in order to achieve his goals. And I think he sees the Big Ten ahead of him in 24. I'll be uh, I'll protect myself here, uh, even though I probably didn't over the last minute or so. Uh, he sees the Big Ten ahead of himself in 24. He's going to know what it takes uh, to get that roster ready by then. All right. So you you mentioned at the top of the, this uh, episode, Keegan, that the state of Texas, you know, is a little bit watered down in recruiting. Well, I mean, California is certainly watered down sure. in the trenches. And part of this is, you know, just the, the, the culture in California is different. Specifically, parents, you know, are well informed about CTE and concussions and all that sort of thing. And they're steering their their sons into other sports. I mean, that is part of the reality on the ground in the state of California. So with USC moving to the Big Ten, if Texas is not as much of a tentpole state for Lincoln Riley's recruiting operation, you said that, you know, that Southern California is important. But, you know, the offensive line supply, not as plentiful in California as it used to be. What is a state which makes sense for Lincoln Riley and his staff? to target as kind of a bridge toward uh, equipping USC for the Big Ten, which, you know, as we all know, very different style of play relative to the Pac-12 conference. You guys would know more about this than I would, but obviously the Polynesian impact on the West Coast is just way more important um, than it is anywhere else in the country, right? Like it, and I think, funny enough, Oklahoma came in second for – a guy named Peni Swool that went to Oregon uh, and ended up becoming a first round pick. And I believe he's a, he's a West coast guy. So I, I would imagine that Oklahoma, their USC is going to be um, in those conversations. You mentioned Josh Connerly, and I believe a guy that went to Florida state today. I mean, Matt, do what, do what he's always done, create pipelines where they're not for him. I would say one of those, I would look directly to the Northeast and look at the DMV area uh, the Caleb Williams and his family have massive, massive amounts of influence in that area. And I would imagine Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley are gonna, going to really uh, take a deep, deep look up at the DMV area because that's, I mean, I've said the future is tied to Southern California with Malachi Nelson. I would imagine that's going to help them out, Matt. Um, but if that's option you know is watered down because of Alabama and Ohio State and other programs and Clemson having success there in Oregon you know if there's you know 
other factors, you know, as in got people just aren't playing as much football as in the state of California, they're going to look at the DMV area and continue to go down that well, um, because that is a place um, that, quite frankly, you know, it is the it is in that part of the country, at least uh, an area of the world where it is a little bit colder, right, where these guys are a little bit bigger bodied, they, they take, you know, they're I can't use the country, the word country strong, right. For the DMV, but um, that's kind of where my head's at. And that, that, that's how those body types are. And um, that would be somewhere where I would imagine USC and Lincoln are really going to take a deep dive into and try to get in. All right. That invites a, a, a very quick follow-up. The fact that he grabbed Bobby Haskins of Virginia in the transfer portal to beef up his offensive line. Like, should we read into that? Like a, a an attempt to, uh, you know, go after that that part of the country, the mid-Atlantic area. Where's Jordan Addison from? So, yeah, de- de- he's definitely from there. But in terms of offensive linemen specifically. Right. Like in Bobby. terms of influence. Yes. To what you're asking, I'm just I'm just thinking the Caleb Williams, Carl, Carl Williams impact in the north in the DMV. So like the train's area. already rolling. Basically. Roll way. Yeah. Way down, way down, this, way down the path. More than likely. Okay. Uh, you know, one thing that comes to mind when I think about recruiting is that, you know, for, for mid-tier programs, not a program like USC, but a mid-tier program, a good example, and I'm not a, a recruiting expert by, by any means, but like in terms of my conversations that I've had with people uh, about all conferences, all teams, you know, because I, I have covered national college football for 20 years in addition to, uh, you know, my work here at Trojans Wire over the past uh, two and a half years. One thing I've picked up is that, you know, Mike, Mike, uh, Mark Stoops, excuse me, at Kentucky, like he's built the foundation for the Wildcats in Lexington by grabbing the players that in Ohio, that, that uh, Ohio State and other Big Ten programs don't get. So w- with that example in mind, you know, is there uh, a pathway for Lincoln Riley to, you know, should he be competing with Ohio State? in the states of Ohio and Michigan for elite prospects? Should he go head to head or should he try to stockpile depth by going after, you know, the three stars instead of four stars? You know, should he, should he expect to get to win recruiting battles with Ohio state for five-star talent in the upper Midwest, or should he be focusing on three stars or is that really just a false conversation? And it it should just be about locking up, four and five star talent in other parts of the country. How much should he go head to head with, you know, Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin, et cetera? It's certainly a a great question. And it's one that I early on when Lincoln was at Oklahoma, I I posed a lot to people like why, why if you're Oklahoma, like why are you recruiting in the state of Louisiana? Why are you recruiting in Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia? Um, cause it's not worth your time. Like none of those players are going to go to Oklahoma. Right. And I think it's to the conversation you're having is that how much does location and geography in terms of going after some of the top players in the country, specifically in the trenches, uh, those people are, lo- those players are located in the Midwest, Matt, and they're located in the Southeast part of the country. And you're not recruiting in the state of Louisiana. Uh, I will see what happens with Brian Kelly, but if it remains true, what it has for the last 25 years that, Louisiana is going to land the top players in the country in their state or LSU is um, Alabama, Mississippi are going to be all going to Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi, Mississippi state, Georgia. 
uh, in Georgia, the state of Georgia, all those kids are going to Clemson, Georgia, and uh, Alabama. So, I mean, it, to what you're asking, I, I think you got it. Luck plays a big factor, right? Location, relationships. No, I, I don't know where you, I would imagine where, I don't know where USC's second biggest alumni base or first or the biggest one outside of the state of California is at. Um, that would be a play. That'd be something that I would look at. Um, you know, I think it all plays into it. I mean, you got to have some luck in terms of relationships and maybe a player is, a, um, you know, he's the son of an alum or, or some, to some extent. Um, I, I, I would say it would not benefit USC from going to the Midwest and getting into battles in areas where they either haven't been before or don't have a relationship with. Um, Cause it probably is a waste of time to what you're alluding to. So uh, got to win the ones on the West coast that you can right? that you, you have chances to go out, go after and do, um, but we'll see, right. You, you ask about like the second tier players in Ohio and in the Midwest, maybe Matt. Um, but I would see if Lincoln Riley did that, that would be because that school probably has a player two or three years down the line that they feel really, really good about turning into an elite player. And they just want to get into that high school. Um, that would be the direction. If he follows what he did at Oklahoma, that would be the direction they go to get that done. All right. Lots of great recruiting insight from Oklahoma insider Keegan Renault helping us with the Riley files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley. This has been episode eight. Next up in episode nine, what does Lincoln Riley's USC staff, a composition of it, say about his decision-making skills, his philosophy, his vision, his approach? That's coming up next in episode nine. We thank you for listening to episode eight of The Riley Files here at Trojans Wired.